I'm Michelle Easton, president of the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute. Special thank you to the Conservative Woman Network's co-host, the Heritage Foundation, represented up here by Bridget Wagner today. We've been partners in this luncheon for many years. And I want to thank each of you for joining us here today and those in the C-SPAN audience and welcome you to our special December edition of the Conservative Women's Network. Each month, CWN features the top women in the conservative movement. But each December, it's our tradition to invite a special gentleman speaker to address CWN. And it's included Tony Snow and Bob Novak, Ken Cuccinelli when he was a senator, Jim DeMint. This year, we're so pleased to have United States Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. Congressman Jordan's a champion for our conservative values in Congress. He's an advocate for taxpayers through his work on spending issues and efforts to eliminate waste, fraud, and abuse in the federal government. He served as chairman of the House Republican Study Committee and then later helped found the House Freedom Caucus and is currently the caucus's first chairman. He was raised in Champaign County, Ohio. He's got a bachelor's degree in economics from University of Wisconsin, where he was a two-time NCAA wrestling champ. He later earned a master's degree in education from Ohio State and a law degree from Capital University. And he and his wife, Polly, have four children. Congressman Jordan is a solid and steadfast philosophical conservative. In a time when conservatives are crying out for principled leadership, he's a leader who has done what he said he would do. You know, at the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute, we work with young women to create new leaders. We use a lot of great role models, like the women who speak at this lunch. The Institute's namesake, Claire Booth Luce, is one of those models. And she said, courage is the ladder on which all the other virtues mount. One reason we're so honored to have you today is because you have shown so much courage. Please join me in welcoming the courageous Congressman Jim Jordan. Thank you. I always, I always tell folks, don't, don't, don't clap. You haven't heard me say anything yet. But uh, Michelle, thank you for that uh, intro and uh, more importantly for the work you and Bridget and the whole team are doing. Um, so did I get that right? That 11 times a year you have a lady speaking and one, one yeah, you should stick with all 12. I mean, the ladies are all, I've learned and in, in, uh, you want something done, go find a, so go find the busiest lady and then you'll get it done. That's the way, way things are. So um, we appreciate what you're, what you're doing. I may have to run for votes, so I'm going to just do a few remarks and then I'll let you yell at, yell at the congressman. You can, in spite of this, this administration's attempt to get rid of your First Amendment rights, you still have them. And I'll give you a chance to exercise them here in, in, uh, in just a, a few minutes. Uh, what I normally do is just say thanks. Thanks for getting, you know, I learned a long time ago, good things don't just happen. You want to accomplish anything of meaning or significance, you got to get off the sidelines and get in the game. And that, that's what you're doing. It takes effort. It takes courage. It takes a willingness to accept risk when you do that. I've, I've shared this story before, but when you, when you get in the game, the press is going to say something bad about you, just the way it works. Uh, in fact, I tell my colleagues, um, particularly the, the guys in the, in the Freedom Caucus. If the press isn't saying something bad about us, we're not doing anything any good. So just get, get used to that. Um, you probably all heard this. Uh, I share it all the time. Cal Thomas's line when he's talking about how we think and how the mainstream liberal national press views things. Um, he, he, Mr. Thomas has a great line. He says, um, I get up every morning, I read my Bible in the New York Times so I can see what each side's up to. <laughs> So there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, they, they just don't see it the same way we do, and you're going you're gonna to take abuse for that, but you have to be willing to do it, and you all are, and so I appreciate that. Um, sometimes you even got to you, you offend some people. We're not trying to offend people, but you got you to press them and push them. Um, 
How many of you have ever seen the movie 1776, the musical? You ever seen that show? One of my favorites. Uh, it's, it's great. You know, it's the whole set in Independence Hall there in Philadelphia. As the, the, this amazing group of individuals came together, drafted the document that launched this amazing experiment in liberty we call, we call America. And uh, fun movie, interesting movie. And, but my favorite scene is they've drafted the, the declaration. Of course, Adams has been the driving force behind this. Uh, Jefferson wrote it, and they're now marking it up. They're doing what legislative bodies do. They amend it and delete it and change it and mark it up. And they're going through this process, and it's driving Adams nuts because it's going way too slow. And you know, he, wants to get, he wants to get the thing accepted, have the vote, and let's get on with this. Let's, you know. Um, and he's getting frustrated, and, and the, the, as they're going through this, one member of the Continental Congress stands up and says, well, this particular section, we, we may want to change this because this is a little too forward, and, and you know, King George may not like, like it. We may want to tone this down a little bit, and Adams kind of rolls his eyes, and they make the change. And another member stands up and says, well, this paragraph, this has got to go. Parliament, when they read this, this is going to be, this is way too strong. We're going to have to delete this entire paragraph, and Adams is like, and finally, there's a third member who stands up, and he says, and we've got to change this section. He says, because this could de- uh, jeopardize our deep-sea fishing rights off the coast of New England. And finally, Adams can't take it anymore, and he stands up and says, it's a revolution, damn it. We're going to have to offend somebody, right? <laughs> and uh, th- sometimes I think that's the attitude we need. We need to understand, look, we got the truth on our side. we got the principles on our side. We're not trying to offend people. We're not trying to get anyone's face. We're just trying to convey the truth and, and stand firm for those principles that make our country the greatest nation ever, and the principles that it, it advance freedom and free markets and opportunity for all. And you're all doing that, and so we appreciate that. And it's now more critical than ever. Um, I guess if I'd give my remarks a title, I, w- I would say the good, the bad, and the future. I mean, there's lots of bad things that have been happening. Uh, I, I told a group the other day, think about the last six months, things we have seen in this country we never thought we'd witness. And I go back to the end of June when we got the Supreme Court decisions. On that one Thursday when they said, in spite of the clear language of the law, the statute itself, uh, you can't have a, a subsidy unless you have a state exchange. The Supreme Court says, forget that. You can, you can, you're eligible for the subsidy. Um, the very next day, forget about thousands of years of Western culture. Forget about states like Ohio, where we just 11 years ago said marriage should be what it's always been. Supreme Court said, forget about all that. We're going we're to redefine a term that has served Western culture, served our country, served civilization um, very well, redefined, redefined marriage. And then on and on it went. We had this, this forget about the rule of law where you have cities saying we're, we're a sanctuary city and, and we're not going to follow the, the rule of law for when it comes to people who are here illegally. We had this Iran agreement, which by anyone's measure is terrible and dangerous and not good for the security of our country and, frankly, for the security of the world. We had an organization that gets your tax dollars, caught on videotape, engaging in some of the most repulsive and disgusting behavior, and yet they continue to receive your tax dollars. And on and on it goes. And probably the thing that scares me most is a Justice Department. Um, I mean, think about this. This is, this is America. But we have a Justice Department, I think, much more focused on politics than they are on administering justice. And you cannot have that in America. You just cannot. When I mean, this is... Um, you know, the Justice Department is the balanced scale. It's the blindfolded lady, and yet if there's someone putting their hand on the scale and peeking under the blindfold for political reasons, that is just as wrong as it gets, and yet that's exactly, exactly what we see. Um, and there are a host of other things. I'm just giving you the, the, some, of the, some of the bigger items that we've seen play out, uh, not to mention the 
terrorist activity we've seen in the last six weeks that is so bad. So there's all kinds of bad out there. There is some good. Um, I told a group the other day, if, if in 2012, the day after the election, when we're all not feeling the best because this administration gets, you know, gets another four years, if someone would have said the day after the election, back in 2012, that um, there'll be a group in the, in, the, in, the, in the House of Representatives called the Freedom Caucus who will be shaking things up, that the next Speaker of the House will be Paul Ryan, and that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio will have a real chance of being the next president, we'd have all said, wow, that's not a bad, you know, light of where we were, that's not all bad. So I think there's some, some, some trends in the, in the right direction. Um, the other thing I think we've been doing well in the Congress, something I've been involved with, is just the oversight, uh, trying to draw attention to the ridiculous things we see in this administration and trying to hold people accountable. And one thing we're attempting to do, uh, we've actually filed the, the legislation, is to particularly go after um, the agency which has so much power over our lives <coughs> and frankly was involved in, in, in behavior you just can't have happen in, in a country like ours, and that is the Internal Revenue Service, and in particular impeaching the commissioner of that organization, John Koskinen. Um, he deserves, yeah, he deserves, you, you can, thank you, I, I agree. Uh, this guy is um, one of the most arrogant individuals, I mean, you think about that. People, in, when you say one of the most arrogant individuals in the federal government, that's saying something, right? Because there's, there's a lot. Um, and, um, but he is, and, uh, you know, what he did, I think he breached every single duty he had. He had a, a duty to uh, uh, provide us information. He had a duty to preserve that information so he could provide it to us. He had a duty to disclose if he couldn't produce that information. He had a duty to, to uh, testify accurately, and he had a duty to correct the record if he testified in an inaccurate fashion. He breached every single, uh, every single duty he had. Um, simple fact is they destroyed, with a preservation order in place, actually three preservation orders in place, two subpoenas in place, they, and, and Mr. Koskinen on record testifying that they would give us every single Lois Lerner email they had, they destroyed thousands. Backup tapes and thousands of potential emails belonging to Lois Lerner. And for that, they should be held accountable. So we're, we're starting that process and a host of other oversight things that we need to do. Last thing I mentioned is, you know, like I said, the good, the bad, the future. Um, I think the future, remember, this is America. I think um, there are some things we have to do, but um, we're still the greatest, greatest thing going. And if we focus in on, this is one thing I, I think the speaker has talked about, um, and I think he's, he's right on target with this. Next year, demonstrating how we would do things different and showing the contrast between where we want to take the country and where Obama has and, and Hillary Clinton wants to continue to take the country. And specifically showing our alternative when it comes to health care reform, getting rid of Obamacare and showing how we would empower people. Not a Washington-centered plan, but a patient-centered, doctor-centered, family-centered, um, market-centered approach to, to health care. Uh, reforming the tax code. I mean, I tell everybody. Um, everybody, it's not telling me anything that they don't already know. The tax code's broken. Everyone knows it. You know, I... I, I, I <laughs> Any tax code which says on the personal side half the population is not going to participate in the main tax is broken, right? And any tax code on the corporate side which says to American companies you're going to pay the highest rate in the world is stupid. So if your tax code is broken and stupid, maybe you want to change it, right? And, and everyone knows that. So let's, let's show how we'll do a simple, on the, on the personal side, some simple. Let's show on the corporate side, make it less, you know, less complex. Lower the, why should we just go to the, the mid-range, 25%, which is what so many people are talking about? Why not have the lowest corporate rate in the world? 
and stop this phenomenon of inversion where, where, where Burger King now goes to you know, Canada with Tim Horton. It's just ridiculous. So let's, let's fix the tax code. And then ultimately, I think the, the biggest thing we can do next year is show our vision for how we would change the welfare system. Um, and truly help people trapped in that system. 79 different means-tested social welfare programs, 48 million on food stamps right now in this country, a bunch of people in poverty, how we would fix it and help people get to a better life uh, and be able to chase down their goals and dreams. And we have to do that by emphasizing work. And the first time I told this story was right here at this podium, I think about a year ago. And I, I talked about, think about, think about the first job we all had, you all had. For me, I mean, some people, it's babysitting the kids next door, it's delivering papers, it's working in the restaurant. It's, for me, it was mowing lawns. My brother and I had a little lawn mowing business. And think about the, the principles and lessons you learned in that very first, very first work experience. Um, probably making a lot less than minimum wage. But you learned principles that helped you get to a better position, better station in life. And I, I think about, you know, my dad helped us out. We had this beat up old truck, this trailer, riding mower, push mower, toolbox, weed eater, gas cans, Beverly Hillbillies going down the road is what it looked like. And, uh, but he helped us get started, but then he told us, he said, hey, boys, you screw around and break, break pulleys and break belts, and you're going to pay for that, and you're going to pay for the gas in the truck, gas in the mowers. And you learn, you learn to manage resources. You learn to manage a schedule. We had some customers, uh, I always remember this, we had some people who wanted their lawn mowed on Thursday so it looked nice for the weekend, and we discovered something. They were willing to pay a little extra if you had mowed on Thursday. So guess what? We mowed their lawn on Thursday. We weren't stupid, right? So you, you, learn, you learn those important principles, how to serve the customer's needs. Mostly what you learn people skills. I, I, I always remember we had these um, two older ladies who never married, the Steinberger sisters. They had a pretty big lawn, and normally you pull in and you just get after it because you, know, you, you had to go to the next lawn. They had to get home for practice and everything you had to do. So, but we learned quickly with uh, the Steinberger sisters, it was worth your while to take a few minutes when you pulled in to go talk to them before you started, because just about the time you're finishing, you could smell the chocolate chip cookies that they were. <laughs> and here's what we're doing in America today. We are robbing people of that experience and the lessons you learn by going through that experience. We are robbing them of that, and it is, it is hurting our culture and ultimately hurting our country. And we have to change it, and we have to talk about it in terms where it's, it's how it's going to help the individual stuck in uh, one of those... 79 different programs. And so I think, again, I think the future looks bright because we're Americans. I mean, just, just the way it is. Um, I'll finish with one last story and I may share just before and then I'll take any questions. But um, this happened probably two years ago. We have some good friends in the Dayton area who, um, we live about 30 miles north of Dayton, and they invited Polly and I to come down and go to dinner with them. We said, sure, we had the night open, we'd do it. And they said, well, before we go to dinner, we're going to tour the Wright Brothers' home. And this has just stuck with me. I've told this story umpteen times because it's, it's stuck with me. So we're going to tour the home. I said, well, great. We, we, we love that. We got an old home built, and our house was built in 1837, so we like that. You always got to do something these kind of places, and they always cost money. But we like that kind of stuff. So we said, sure, we'll do it. You go through the tour. It's really neat. You learn all kinds of neat things about these amazing guys. Uh, last room you come to. I'll remember forever. Last room you come to. It's one of the brothers. I forget which brother. It's one of the brothers' bedrooms. And uh, they talk a little bit about this room, and this, you know, it's a few more stories about this particular right brother. And, and then they hold up two pictures. Show you two pictures. First one, uh, first flight, 1903, Kitty Hawk, and this thing they caught an airplane. Flew like 101 feet. You wonder how it got off the ground when you look at it. Like, wow, I wouldn't want to get in that thing, right? First flight, though, flew like 101 feet. I'm like, okay, I remember that from eighth grade, ninth, whenever you learn that story. Uh, I just kind of remember that picture. Okay, that's kind of neat. 
They put it down, hold up a second picture, 44 years later, 1947, Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. I mean, I was just, you know, just a dumb country boy. Like, I didn't know that, right? I didn't know when, when Yeager did that. And they put that down, and literally, that's, that's the end of the tour. And I'm walking out the door, and all of a sudden, it hit me. Well, why in the heck did they stop there? I represent New Knoxville, Ohio, Wapakoneta, Ohio, hometown of Neil Armstrong. Why'd they stop there? Because 22 years later, another Ohioan, another American, stepped on the moon. So think, think about this country. I, I tell this to people all the time. Think about this country. From 1903 to 1969, 66 years, two guys flying 100 feet to putting a man on the moon. It's a pretty good place. It's a pretty good place made up of pretty good people. And I tell folks all the time, when you get discouraged about Barack Obama, we can handle Barack Obama, for goodness sake. If we can get through, I mean, think about this country. So uh, I feel good about it. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. It's a great verse. It's a verse of action. It's a verse that describes this country. And it's a verse that we'd all do well to put, put to memory and put into action. So, And I know you're all doing that. And thank you for giving me 18 minutes to talk to you. <laughs> Your chance to ask questions. The gentle lady on the front row gets the first one. And my guys are, we have, we're not voting yet? Give me an okay. Yeah. Hi, my name is Lisa Miller, and I am founder of uh, Tea Party WDC. So I read the budget yesterday. Yeah. 10 hours sitting. It's, uh, God bless I, you. I feel ill. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noted is uh, there's an in uh, incredible increase of fasc what I call fascism, but it's corporate cronyism, which is really the first theft. So, you know, I think one of the reasons why there's so much pressure to increase welfare is because corporations have stolen it, whether it's through subsidies or regulatory protections or, you know, uh, and it's political money laundering, and it goes back into the politicians yep. that keep them in play. Um, so why not cut the first theft so that naturally uh, welfare is diminished, the need for it? And, and, and in fact, I, I note that they I do agree. cut it in this budget. No, I, I, look, I agree. And we, we, we fought a long fight and we won for several months and then ultimately got beat. Um, that was the Exim Bank. It's the, it was the most obvious example. And, and the one we had the best chance of winning because all we had to do was you know, what Congress does best, nothing, just not reauthorize it. And so we picked this fight, and I thought we were going to win, and we were winning for a long time, but ultimately it got put in the transportation bill. You are exactly right. This is, this is why um, this phenomena going on across the country where middle-class families are saying, I'm fed up with everyone in, in Washington, because they see big corporations cozy up to big government and get a special deal at their expense. And it is wrong. We're supposed to be the party of free markets, not the party of special deals for big companies. And we have got to change it. And you're right. And it's not just something like subsidies and, and loans and loan guarantees in the XM Bank. It's also special deals in the tax code. That's why we've got to throw out the tax code. And we're seeing some of that in this, this extender package, the tax extender package, which has got some good things in it, but some bad. we're seeing some of it in there. Tesla and Warren Buffett got like specific yep. billion-dollar deals. Yep. The omnibus, by the way, is it's bad. It's pretty bad. Well, the so. question is we just got really limited time. Yep. Else? I'm going to leave in about three minutes if I can. Wait, wait for the mic, please. Oh. Give your name. Thank you. Trish Seifert. I'm a private citizen. Uh, retired yesterday for 40 God years. God bless you. Congratulations. Um, question. You mentioned wrestling. Our son was a wrestler. It's a lonely sport. Yeah. So that teaches you uh, uh, how to deal with adversity uh, all alone. Um, 
My question is, you mentioned the Wright brothers. There was a mention of fascism. I'm wondering how many students even know anything about the history of the Wright brothers or the history of fascism oh. or early communism or any of the revolutions yeah. that went on. And I, when I see, watch Waters World, uh, you know, oh, and how many yeah. people, you it's know, this, but it's this bill too. to get rid of the First Amendment that's being signed by people. The educational system. Yeah, they're system, exercising their First Amendment to get rid of it. No, right. It's crazy. The educational system, I think, is sort of under discussed because we. Good point. The children in the hood, the children who don't have access to the good schools, I find yeah. is outrage, morally reprehensible. And yet, we're not, we don't seem to be associated with helping those children, no, which you, I think we, we would be do a, a great advantage, job. not only to conservatives, but to Republicans and whatnot. Yeah. And, and so how, how do you keep no, we gotta talk about and why don't we you gotta, just you gotta focus on school put people's choice. feet to the fire? Yeah, say, and we got to go into those, those neighborhoods, those communities, and talk about the, 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 the power of empowering them. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and I'll make it as quick as I can. In my first year in public life, 19, I run for state rep, 94, get elected, and, and take office in 95. We started a program in Ohio, the Cleveland Scholarship Program. At the time, Cleveland, we have 612 districts in Ohio. Cleveland spent more per pupil than anyone else in the state. They were our largest district, and the graduation rate was 32%. So we said, we're going to, and they were spending at that time like close to $7,000 per kid. So we said, we're going to, God bless the Catholic schools, they helped us out tremendously. We said, we're going to take 2,250 kids in, in kindergarten, first and second grade, first three grades, 2,250 kids, and we're going to give them a scholarship worth $2,100. The initial sign-up day for that limited 2,250 spots, we had thousands of moms kicking and screaming and fighting to get what I, what I tell people, the golden ticket, right? The chance to escape. Now, that is powerful. And most of these moms were single moms, had been on some form of uh, public assistance in their life. Many of them were African-American. So but they knew one thing. They didn't want to send their kid to the same school they had to go to, Right. And this, and every step of the, so this, we, we got it started, and each year we added a grade so that kids could, could stay with the program all the way through 12th grade, and it's continued now for 20 years. Challenged all the way to the Supreme Court on the Establishment Clause, we won. And every time the Democrats tried to shut it down, because the big teachers union said we can't have this, we've got to make sure kids stay in schools, they only graduate 32%. I never understood the logic. In fact, I've asked, when I've debated them, I'd say, okay, so how bad does it have to get before we let some escape, right? 31%, 28%. We have to wait till not one kid can graduate from a school before we let some of them go to a better opportunity. So, but every time they challenged it was, and went to court, you know what we did? And this is that's why I mentioned the power of ladies involved in public policy. Um, we didn't bring down the experts. We didn't let the politicians speak. You brought the moms. I mean, I've said a thousand times, no high-paid lobbyist ever beats a mom on a mission, right? It's just the way life works. And, yeah, exactly. And, the, and these, these moms would come in and they would speak from the heart with passion about the difference this program made for their kid their son or their daughter. And that is a message we have got to expand on. And when we tell that, you can, you can go in any community and the parents is like, I'm for that. I may not like Republicans, may not like that ugly Jordan guy, but I'm for that plan and he's for that plan. That's, let's, so we have got to do more of that. Yeah, I got one more and I got to run. Oh, is that, they called votes? Well, this will be the last one because I do got to get to a meeting. Yep, anyone else? Last chance to yell. The gentleman in the back. Oh, I'm sorry. I should let you pick. You're the boss. Yeah, Will know. Estrada, Homeschool Legal Defense. And just want to thank you, Chairman Jordan. You know, talking about education, thank you for your support of homeschooling and just letting, making sure yep. in Congress that homeschoolers are left alone by yeah, the federal I'm, government. Yeah, I'm sure there's some homeschoolers here in the audience. And we, uh, we homeschool. Well, I use the term we lightly. My wife did all the work. She homes. Uh, we homeschooled our, or poly homeschooled our kids until 
somewhere between fourth and seventh grade, and then they went in the same little public school that, that her and I went to. So uh, it's powerful. It's really great for, I mean, I think it's good for every kid, but it was really good for our boys. If our boys had to go sit in front of a chalkboard when they were eight years old, it drove them nuts, and more importantly, drove the teacher nuts. So we, uh, it, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful option that, that parents should be able to exercise. So God bless you. Keep up the great work. Have a great, have a Merry Christmas. Famous loose saying, no good deed goes unpunished. That especially. I've watched, I've watched uh, the, 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 the movie. The latest heritage necktie, which I don't know if you've seen. Oh, model, look at that. That's very nice. Which you can wear for your negotiations yes, so people know where like you stand. That. You stand with oh, heritage. It matches. It matches. Thank you. Terrific. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Take care. And we hope you all can stay and uh, join us for lunch and some conversation afterward. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in January for the next Conservative Women's Network lunch. A woman. A woman. <laughs> yes.